Now entering the Bitcoin Podcast Network. This is Evan Van Ness with an Ethereum podcast. I have here as my guest today, Adam Nessler. Before we get started, disclosure, for transparency's sake, I am an advisor to Kudos. Second, I am a member of Consensus, so you can think of this podcast if you enjoy it, and I hope you do since you're listening to it, as being sponsored by Consensus. So Adam, welcome. Thanks for being with us today. Tell us, let's start off by telling us, like, what is the long-term vision of the Kudos project. Well, thanks for having me. The long-term vision of Kudos is really to be what I would call the operating protocol for service industry businesses, meaning we want every company, so whether that's a coffee shop or restaurant or ride-sharing platform, to use Kudos as a way for their users to pay for things and to reward their workers based on performance. So it's really a blockchain protocol for rewarding both users and workers. And in that process of transacting within a given business, it is also gives each gives the entire system basically a way to track and and have ratings as a um, as a thing basically a ratings for a particular business be open and audible so that we do away with these websites like Yelp and Facebook reviews where we have siloed and constrained and centralized ratings that are manipulated by ads and controlled by algorithms and instead every time imagine every time you transact like Uber like you do with Uber you can transact across any marketplace that accepts kudos you rate that experience that rating gets published published to an open ledger that's public and not owned by anybody. And that gives us basically the first ever global rating system that the entire world can trust. And so we think that is really powerful. And that that rating will help us will help power a number of things, which I'm happy to get into, but including rewards for both users and workers. But ideally, this is a global currency and a global protocol that expands to every single service industry or marketplace business that most people interact with in their daily lives. Start off at, at the beginning. Uh, tell us, sure. tell us about you. Tell us about where you came from. How you got to running Skedaddle. I'm the CEO of Skedaddle and co-founder of Skedaddle. So Skedaddle is a ride-sharing platform that allows people to ride with other people headed in the same direction outside of their city. So imagine you live in New York and you want to go to Boston, or you want to go skiing, or you want to go to a concert or music festival. We aggregate people together that are traveling long distances, and then we use a whole network of large vehicles, vans, buses, and shuttles that are really nice and comfy to move those people together on demand. And so think about it as disrupting Greyhound, Megabus, Peter Pan, people driving their individual cars, sort of the future of mass transportation. And so I got into Skedaddle. We founded Skedaddle about two and a half years ago and got into it because I, I worked at two clean tech companies before this. This sounds cheesy, but I really cared about building technology that's going to have an actual impact on the world. Didn't want to build, didn't really want to work for a SaaS company that was helping people sell something better or 
work for a gaming company, really wanted to work for something that was going to have deep impact in, in the world. And so we had this problem of not being able to to travel outside our cities. And we saw the way we traveled within cities transforming before our eyes. We were using Uber and Lyft and public transportation. And we saw this huge gap and problem and how people were going to move long distances and really wanted to make that very efficient, very affordable and very convenient for people. So we founded Skedaddle on that premise. And I've grown from a a team of four co-founders to about 24 people spread across two offices in, in New York and Boston. That is a huge problem. After, after college, I had a brief time where I didn't have a car on purpose because I lived in Washington, D.C. And, you know, it was fine because I never left the city, except that I started feeling trapped because I couldn't right. leave the city because I didn't have a car. I mean, it wasn't a big deal, but it, there was a certain like mental thing that I had to get over. Like, get out of whatever yeah. way at the time right. to solve that. Even just the mental, even if I didn't use it that often, it would have been fantastic to have. Totally. We think this is the last step towards getting people to 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 ditch their cars, basically getting getting us to zero car ownership. It's it's great if you can live in a city and move around without a car. But as soon as you think about traveling outside the city, you feel trapped or you're left with a flood of options. You have to research train schedules and bus schedules and deal with all these really bad experiences where you should just be able to more or less touch a few buttons and ride wherever you want and, and frankly, ride with wherever you want affordably with people that maybe if you're going to a specific concert or destination, you know, a particular experience, you're riding with people that have a similar interest and, and something that's super convenient that can pick you up close to where you live or close to where you work. So you don't have to travel to a, a far off station to, to then go somewhere else. So really, we really think this is the last leg to solve to get us to a point as a society and, and ideally uh, as, as a world where we, we don't have to, to own cars anymore and we can really move anywhere within a couple hundred miles without ever having to touch a car and move anywhere across the world, of course, with, with planes and other forms of transportation. So did you grow up in a city? I didn't. I grew up in central Connecticut, uh, close to a city, but I wouldn't call Hartford, Connecticut, too big of a city. But I, I've lived in Boston, spent obviously a lot of time in Boston and New York now. So as soon as I moved to Boston, I didn't own a car. And this was basically a big problem for me and my co-founder, Brad, who is also a very active guy and likes to travel and go skiing and go to concerts and go to sports games. And we, we felt trapped. So most people here that we work with also don't own cars. And most people in our generation that live in cities don't own cars. So we feel like we're starting young and starting small. But eventually, of course, we, we want to get to, you know, your normal business traveler, your 50 year old man that travels between you know, Houston and Houston and Dallas or Houston and Austin for business, you know, that should be that should be our user as well. And so we think we can we can do that and capture that user by making the experience really great, really on demand and really comfortable. So that that's what we're working on. Let's go back to the long term vision. You've got Skedaddle and you've got Kudos. I guess like what what's the what's the roadmap that takes us from from here of like using Kudos? Well well first I guess tell us about how you're going to yeah. use kudos with Skedaddle. So the way this all came about was was pretty organically. So we had we had this problem. We we actually had a, a number of problems. So the, I, I would look, I would say we had three problems. So number one, I think like every startup, we needed a mechanism. You know, we have lots of users that come back very frequently, but we really still wanted a mechanism to reward users with something that was meaningful to them when they rode repeatedly, when they were sharing routes, when they were starting routes. You know, those actions, especially in the early days of a startup, we felt like there was a, a better way to reward them with something meaningful where they could where they could feel the impact of the early contributions to, to our platform. So that's number one. Number two, two and three, I would say, were, were some of the bigger problems, which were on our supply side. We had, we're working with all of these companies across the U.S., and we're working with, consequently, all of these drivers. And these drivers and companies, 
you know, we're very new to them. And so a lot of them felt either very threatened by us that, you know, these guys used to also own black cars and had a hard time with Uber and Lyft over time and felt like, you know, even though we were bringing them business that maybe one day we would turn off the switch and cannibalize them. And so kind of felt very threatened by us in some respects. And the drivers didn't really know how to deal with our riders. They weren't used to checking people in. They weren't used to turning on a GPS. And so we needed, we needed a mechanism to make our rider experience better by incentivizing our drivers and operators to really care about us, care about using the driver app and care for our riders. And so we had all these inconsistent experiences from our riders. And what we decided to do is say, OK, let's come up with a mechanism to reward our drivers based on them turning on the GPS, based on them checking in riders. And once we started tipping them based on those actions, we noticed an immediate increase in rider happiness. So we had figured out a way, obviously, to incentivize and reward those drivers, but we wanted to take that to another level. And at the same time, we had a number of these companies coming to us and asking us, you know, can we invest in the company? Can we buy equity? And and we realized that's really challenging and difficult for a number of reasons. And there have been companies like Juno that have tried and gotten into trouble or, or failed at, at doing so. And so we wanted a way to really like align incentives across our platform where our users and our work and our drivers and our companies all were rewarded with something based on performance and based on usage that was really aligned with our platform. And so that basically led us to start thinking about, well, maybe a cryptocurrency, maybe a token could work great for this. And as we started to think about that and the mechanics of the protocol and the mechanism that we would build within Skedaddle, we realized that what we were building was basically foundational to every marketplace, that we could build a protocol that could be used within Skedaddle first. But if we did our jobs correctly and we built the protocol and integrated the token and gave it immediate value for the 70,000 riders we have and growing a month, we could open that up over time for others to use and really see what we think is an ideal way to reward users and reward workers based on performance spread across the world. And we also, and this is another consequence, I know I'm, I'm talking about a lot of problems and a lot of solutions here, but every single transaction in the Skedaddle platform and in the Kudos platform will have zero tipping. So no no more tipping based on arbitrary amounts, no more tipping based on how much you think a worker or driver is worth. You just simply get to rate that experience like you rate your Uber ride. And that rating gets published, like I mentioned, to this open ledger. And we obviously knew that just containing it within Skedaddle doesn't make any sense. We realized that we needed to create a foundation, have an open ledger that was decentralized in order to really see the power of that uh, ratings ledger. And so that is in the long and short of our journey to this point. But why we decided to build the protocol and token and why we think it's so important to decentralize it, to build this foundation so that others can use, so that it can continue to grow outside of Skedaddle. So that's a really good explanation of what Skedaddle will use it for. How do you get between, you know, Skedaddle is using it and it's solving problems for Skedaddle to yep. um, solving these these legacy review sites? Yeah, totally. So I think what's really interesting about a token and cryptocurrency generally is that we can use what we, what we have defined as our growth pool to incentivize other marketplaces to join us. You know, I think we have a number of marketplaces and a number of platforms that we have spoken to, ride, other ride-sharing platforms and hospitality platforms and just traditional businesses, restaurants, coffee shops that we have either spoken to or are speaking to currently that are really excited to just have a mechanism to reward their users with something that is actually meaningful, where they don't have to launch their own token because it's too expensive and too inefficient, and they can pay or reward their drivers or workers or hosts or servers based on performance, based on their rating, not and pay them fairly, that they can do all of these things. But on top of that, with a cryptocurrency, we can use our growth pool to give those marketplaces tokens basically to join the network. And so we have this mechanism where we can really help solve this chicken or the egg problem of how we get other markets 
marketplaces to adopt and why they should adopt early. And so we think that is going to be a powerful mechanism to help us bring this outside of Skedaddle. Oh, what, the what's part. the roadmap Skedaddle to, to? So like I mentioned, so we're going to, we're going to launch kudos within Skedaddle. So every ride and every purchase will have a rating attached to it. Once we spin out the foundation and have other marketplaces that are using the protocol, those ratings will be published to this open blockchain. And from that open blockchain, there will be a, a DAP basically that will aggregate all of those ratings together by business. So you'll, you'll understand and be able to search per business or per marketplace that is using kudos what that rating is exactly for that business based on every single person that has purchased something or used that service. We think that is a much more trustworthy and valuable system for users to experience rather than I have to go online after my purchase and I only go online if I'm super angry or I had an amazing experience to you know write a scathing or write an amazing review about a particular marketplace and that those that those that those rating systems like Yelp, if I pay more money, I can have my business rated higher than another. My mine can show up first, or that it's controlled by these algorithms that we don't really understand why businesses are rated higher show up first. Instead, you have a you have a, a decentralized system that nobody controls that just flatly rates and and lists the businesses that have the highest ratings from top to bottom, and are only only are ratings that are aggregated by people that actually use those services. So that people can really trust that. So that obviously becomes more powerful as we bring on more and more marketplaces and as more and more users are using kudos. So there's a, there's a network effect there as well to making that, that rating system something that people really trust and find useful. But yeah, we think about it much, much like the, I don't know, in, in New York City, and I think in, in a number of cities, they have those ratings on the store windows of isn't it A or B or C that we trust the government to rate quality. Uh, it's usually the health quality of those services. And what we're mm-hmm. saying is we're going to trust we're going to trust the system basically to rate these businesses on the quality of their service and that we're not going to trust random Joe Schmo to go write a review on Yelp, but we're going to trust the system to basically hold these, you know, hold all these businesses accountable for their, for the quality of service and to have that be transparent and, 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 and trustworthy. So, so that's really what we're after. And, and the more marketplaces, the more businesses that join, the more powerful and the more, the more meaningful that becomes. What's your uh, approximate timeline? And obviously it's, it's obviously hard to say in this space, but how yeah. long do you think until you can have this live working in for skedaddle our goal is to to launch it ideally beginning of q2 of of next year so ideally in april of 2018 is is what we're targeting at the moment so we already have a robust platform we have 24 people on the team here and we have a dedicated team working on on kudos and implementation of kudos as a a protocol and a feature within skedaddle so we think we can get it up and running very quickly once it's up and running within skedaddle of course we want to we want to thoroughly test, make sure that we're we're designing the protocol for for actual users, and that those users actually understand what they're getting and understand the value of of kudos and how to use kudos within Skedaddle as a platform. And we think we'll we'll be doing that for roughly four months or so. And by Q3, Q4 of next year, we'll we'll have established a foundation and start opening up the protocol to other businesses to start joining then. But in the meantime, we'll be meeting with, and we already have started this process, but we'll be talking to other marketplaces or businesses to get them on board as as initial partners and ideally be able to launch those those use cases by Q4 of next year. So it's it's about a year away. We think that's that's pretty fast. But what's great about what we're doing here is we have an actual environment and team and users to start testing this very soon and very quickly so that the, the currency actually gains initial value 
and we can we can learn a lot about uh, how people are interacting with with the platform before we open it up uh, to a wider and broader audience. So you said you've already started talking to people. What, who do you think will be the first like <laughs> the first types of businesses? Do you think it'll be other ride sharing? Do you think it'll be? Yeah, good question. So I it could be other ride sharing. Um, I think. We we're talking to a few. I think there are a number of restaurant groups and some fast food groups that have really thought about or implemented, you know, no tipping policies already and really care about transparency, really care about fair pay to workers and really care about rewarding their users with something meaningful sort of are already on the cutting edge. And I think those are really the prototypes for what we're looking for. So I think it can span apps and online platforms as well as as well as restaurants or restaurant groups or chains like that. So yeah, I think those are probably the 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 first folks to adopt. I think it, it may it could take some time for you know coffee shops or your mom and pop shop down the street to adopt, but it shouldn't actually be that hard. What we're suggesting is more or less a layer on top of a payment processing system, whether that's Stripe, whether that's Square, whether that's something else. You know, it's it it we're we're designing this to be very easy to use. You know, what we think we obviously think cryptocurrency and and tokens and and blockchain is, is super exciting uh, as technology, but we don't we do not believe or I do not believe personally, and I think everyone here agrees that coffee shop and a restaurant group are going to actually launch their own token, especially as technology stands today. It's, it's very expensive. It's challenging, very hard to build initial value or any value at all. And what we're suggesting is that a much more efficient ecosystem is that similar types of businesses and what we're categorizing as service oriented businesses or marketplace, if they're all using or migrating to one currency, but that currency and token is programmable to how they want to use it within their marketplace, that that is actually the ideal way for them to to interact with the cryptocurrency and to really reward their workers and incentivize their users properly. And so, yeah, so we're designing something that can be used anywhere. But I think those types of restaurants, those types of fast food organizations, as well as those types of applications like hospitality and ride sharing will probably be some of the first to, to hopefully join us. The hospitality case is, is interesting. Tipping, of course, right? I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's much more prominent in the U.S. than anywhere else I've been. And like, maybe it's apocryphal, but as far as I know, like tip does actually mean to ensure promptness. So it like, it makes sense in a, in a situation where there is repeated interactions, you go to the same hairdresser, you want them to make sure they put extra effort into cutting your hair or a massage therapist or, you know, waiter because you develop a relationship. But like tipping doesn't really make sense. Like the standard, like 15% when you just like go to somebody one time, right? Like there's, it's it's like a if you think about it in a game theory sense, yeah, it makes no I, sense. Do I tip fifteen or twenty percent? If I'm in an Uber and I traveled forty minutes, do I give this guy a dollar or two dollars? It's this really arbitrary and and very discriminatory like way of assessing somebody's worth and assessing how much of my own money do I wanna take out of my pocket to give to this person. And so we think a much more uh, effective and efficient way is to say, what was my experience like? Was my experience three stars, four stars, five stars, and, and ask that question. And we think that question will will ideally reduce some bias and some discrimination in the rating. It still could be there, of course. If you are racist or biased in a way, you may rate a certain type of person fewer stars than somebody else. But we think, and there's research that shows this, that because you're not taking additional additional money out of your wallet, you're just rating, that you're more likely to actually rate that person higher. And therefore, that person should be 
ideally rewarded better than they would in a traditional tip environment. But this whole idea of tipping is just so arbitrary and clunky. And we just think it's a, it's a much better user experience to just say, what, what, what was the quality of service or what was the quality of experience to you? And, and then you, and then you get to leave. And so even for those repeat actions, I think that's still the case. You know, even if you develop a relationship with your masseuse, your, your hairdresser, your barber, you know, I, I still believe that it's, it's more efficient for you to, to be able to rate that experience and also have that rating be something that can evaluate the business as a whole. Whereas if you really like that business and really value that business, and you're going to rate it a four or five stars, then then that is public and open and you don't have to take the time to go on Yelp and write a review that you're, you're giving that person a reward and you're also giving validation to that business without having to take many extra steps. It's, it's all kind of included in one. Would there ever be a reason for the protocol to include zero knowledge proofs as in like there? So there would be like, I wanted to, I don't know, my my barber who I've like been going to for 10 years has been has been great, but then I he mailed it in one time and like did the worst cut I've ever had or something, right? And so like I actually wanted to give him a one star for that time, but I wanted it to be private. Like, would there ever be a like a way that you know you would think that would be worth building in, or or is that is this just a question that's too <laughs> off the wall? <laughs> yeah, no, it's really interesting. You know, obviously the ratings themselves are not going to be tied back to individual users; they'll be tied to a transaction, but it won't identify you as a user. So ideally, you don't feel subconscious about rating somebody poorly, you know, just because it's it's going to be public information. I think, I think ideally, like people trust the system, you know, it, it's the same with Uber or Airbnb or any service that asks for a rating, you know, if you're, you really have a bad time, you, you know, that person, that person probably doesn't deserve an extra tip and probably doesn't deserve a high rating. I think what we're suggesting is what it, what is what we've seen as really faulty parts of, of platforms that do incorporate ratings like Uber is that they use ratings to negative as negative reinforcement, meaning they do away or kick off people that are bad performers. And if those if those if a guy has a bad day or a couple of bad days and has bad ratings, they kick off that person. And we're suggesting is that's OK, but we would rather deal with positive reinforcement, meaning we would rather reward people that go above and beyond. So if you're driving for Uber and you're at five stars and somebody else is at four and a half, you, you should be rewarded for that. And we think that that, that is a better system. But to your question, you know, I, I'm, I'm not sure we, 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 there may be a way over time where we could maybe factor that in or maybe anonymize it more, but it, it should be anonymous enough where hopefully it doesn't, doesn't affect people's decision whether to rate or not. So I, I hope that, I hope that's not an issue, but it's a, it's a fair point. It's something we'll, we'll think about. Let me let me switch gears for a second. You have Skedaddle, and then you're going to establish a foundation. In, in the beginning, you, you, the first user use case for Kudos is Skedaddle. So there's you know more or less the same people going to be working on it. How do you see that evolving over the, over time? Will will you lead the foundation? Will will you have someone else lead the foundation? Yeah. Great question. So I think it's and you know I think you're seeing quite a few venture back companies, quite a few established companies going this route and launching tokens. Some are deciding to launch tokens within their network and keep it controlled or centralized within their network. And that's totally okay. We think that in order for this to work, it needs to be decentralized. It needs to be owned by somebody else. We can't control it or, or the whole thing falls apart. And so we are, we will have a separate team with that will be part of the foundation. And so those will be separate people from Skedaddle, including myself. And so that is something that we're currently working on exactly what types of people who those people are. We may in fact port some of our blockchain folks here and some of our engineers may, may move over to the foundation, but there, there will be a clear line. We don't, we don't want to give the impression that 
that Skedaddle will be at all in control of, of the ratings and all in control of the algorithms. Um, that should be run by a, a nonprofit foundation that really doesn't have uh, a for-profit interest. And so we think it's really important to, to delineate between those two, and we're going we're gonna to work hard to do that. And so that, that is our intention. Do you think that that will be you or do you think it'll be someone else? No, I think I, you know, I, I, I will, I will stay here. You know, I, I, I built Skedaddle. We have investors. Uh, we also have spent two and a half years working on Skedaddle and, and also believe that we have a, a massive vision to go out and reach. And we have a, a 24 person team here and growing that, you know, it is, it is both my, my want and my need to see this succeed. And so I feel like it's my duty and, and I, and I want to see, to see skedaddle through to its fullest extent. So no, it will not be me, but there are, there are certainly, there may be certainly people here that, that move over there over time. That's certainly a possibility, but there, I think are, are lots of qualified people and some folks that some of our advisors have recommended um, or that we know very well already that we think would be well set up to, to oversee the team and oversee the foundation itself. But we, we do think it, you know, it can't be me doing both and, and I'm going to stay here. I don't know if it's a wave yet, but there it is becoming a little bit of a, of a trend for venture backed companies to, to launch tokens, to have a token sale. I'm curious well, first, I, I guess let's start before I get to the, my next question. I, I, let me start by like, how did you decide to have a token sale? <laughs> That's a good question. So, I mean, although we as a company obviously are did not start uh, as a as a blockchain company, you know, we and there me and a, and a number of folks here have been involved in the space, following the space, or participants uh, in cryptocurrency for quite some time. So, it's certainly been something that we either been participating in or have kept a close eye on for for a number of months and, and frankly years. And so it's not something that is completely new to us as a team, or at least a lot of us and at least our, our core team. And so, you know, I think for us, we, we like I mentioned, I think, I think I told a little bit of this story, but we really understood very quickly that a the protocol and the token as a as a as an entity and as a mechanism for skedaddle felt like the exact right way to align interest between our drivers and our companies and our users and really help us unlock the ability for the platform to be more fair and more equitable and to unlock this key growth mechanism as well. And so, you know, we talked with many, many people in the space for a long time, investors in the space, uh, other founders, other developers, you know, understanding both our individual use case as Skedaddle. And then once we sort of had this aha moment of, this can apply everywhere. Let's think about how we can actually open this up or should open this up. In fact, we felt like we needed to open this up for others, that it it, it didn't make both economic and valuable sense for us to hold on to it, nor did we think it was worthwhile for us for the greater good to hold on to it, that we decided to to open it up to others. But yeah, we spent a long time consulting other people about whether or not, you know, as much as we as much as we're involved in the space or as much as we're interested in cryptocurrency, you know, whether or not as a venture backed company it makes sense for us to to jump into. We're we're still very, very, very early on the curve, no matter how much it it comprises most of our days today. But we're still very early. And so there's certainly a lot of risk associated with it. But we felt so compelled by the idea of by kudos. And we felt so compelled by what the protocol and token could do for Skedaddle. Um, and then what kudos could do for the world that we felt like the economic interests of all were aligned, um, that we felt like it was good for both the business and good for the broader community in the world to, to start working on this. So I think we, we really weighed those heavily. Um, 
before jumping in and, and going down this route because we certainly didn't have to, but we felt like we had a better chance of making a skid- reaching our vision as a company at Skedaddle by launching a protocol and token. And we felt like the protocol and token has a much better success or much better chance at reaching its overall vision if it is rolled into a, or managed by a foundation over time. And so we felt like if we did those two things, both Skedaddle as a company uh, would have a better chance at, at, at growing and succeeding and the protocol and token would have a better chance at being more impactful and, and reaching more hands and more people. So, so that's why we really, in, in the end, decided to make the call to, to pursue it. So in the last few months, you've been talking to your investors, your Skedaddle investors, and telling them <laughs> that you are going to do, do a token sale. How did those conversations go? Certainly, I imagine a question a lot of venture-backed companies are facing. So, you know, I think it's hard when you've been so engrossed in a space and in an idea for so long to communicate that idea properly. And I think there were certainly things that I could have maybe done better to communicate why this is, you know, ultimately you have investors who have put in money in the company. Um, it would put in money in the company with this idea that the company is going to grow and that the company is going to achieve certain ends or certain visions. And so we felt that if we were going to pursue this path, that we needed to make it really clear that, look, we, we know that we wouldn't have been in this position without our investors. We would not be here. We would not have 24 people. We would not have as many riders. We would not have a fully built out platform. We just wouldn't exist. And so we felt it was necessary and worthwhile to align incentives in the future as well. And if we could do that, that ideally our investors and our backers would support the, the decision. And, you know, ultimately this really is comes down to a business decision. You know, is this something that we think will benefit the company? And what's interesting about a cryptocurrency created when they when the usage and the operations of the protocol and token, um, we as a company, you know, are we, we still have the incentive to, to see that happen because the value of the cryptocurrency will only and the value of the token will only grow to its maximum limit if it's in the hand of the foundation. And so I think, you know, getting our investors to understand that, that, you know, this is better off and it's better off for everybody if this is decentralized and owned by somebody else, that once we communicated that, I think we got over some initial questions and initial concerns. But, you know, of course, there are still like anybody, there's still concerns around uh, around other risks to the company, around other risks. Um and raising money that are that are well founded and, and reasonable, and I think once we were able to to establish the bounds of which we were the bounds of which and the, the utility of the token itself, and can really communicate that to to everybody, to every stakeholder, to every investor, and have everybody understand the risks associated, have everybody understand why incentives are aligned to create this foundation to decentralize the protocol, that that we could get everybody on the same page. But certainly. Certainly because this is something new, when it's something new and new to, to a lot of people, it, it definitely uh, there were definitely some, some hurdles in, in Roblox to overcome. But I think uh, we have, we have, we've gotten to the point where, where everybody is, is on the same page. So, so I'm excited um, for everybody and excited to move forward. So were, was anybody just dead set against it at the start? I would say there was some, some strong hesitation, but I would say that strong hesitation was, was mostly because there was, there were unknowns. And I think whenever you have unknowns, I think a, a gut reaction is to, to think the worst is going to happen or, or to, or, or to be fearful. And that, that is sort of a natural human reaction that, that is, it is, it is, it is in a lot of people and is, and is unavoidable in some circumstances. So no, I think there are a lot of our investors who are very attuned of, of what's happening. But I think, look, uh, you know, if I'm, if I'm totally honest, you know, there definitely is some strong hesitation. And so there was, you know, some hesitation for sure. And, you know, that hesitation, I think, is well founded. It was founded in, you know, not 
not knowing much about cryptocurrency or not knowing much about blockchain technology at all. And so I think with any unknown, of course, the first, a lot of first reaction is, is fear or worry or questions. And that's, that's normal and that's okay. I think, I think it's overcoming that where, where you run into a challenge is whether or not you're able to convey and communicate why we're making certain decisions or why we think this is the best decision for the business and the company uh, as a whole. And so I think, you know, that took some time and certainly, you know, there are things that I may have done differently to, to make that smoother uh, or make that better. But I think ultimately, I think we're able to, to, to get that, uh, to get that message across to everybody so that we're on the same page. But yeah, it's certainly, it's certainly something new. And even venture capitalists, you know, they, you know, I think a lot of ICOs could potentially threaten, um, some early stage, uh, investing over time. Not, I don't, I don't think all, uh, but I think, some and you know that notion that this is something that could threaten threaten me is also another reason to for some people to shy away from it as opposed to dive into it and so i think sometimes that can can cause more fear than it's worth but i think overall it's it's you know what i've learned and still probably need to get much better at is 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 it's really all about communicating things in the right way and so yeah i think if you're able to do that as a venture back company and if you're able to really align incentives in the right way so that um, the people that got you here are also incentivized for your for for the future that you're building even if that future is decentralized and owned by another or managed by another foundation then then you'll be okay and so yeah that was that was that was our experience and my experience have any of your investors have your vcs now gone out and invested in a token pre-sale <laughs> <laughs> so there are some that were already doing that already so i guess the answer is yes and i think there would probably be more but i do think a lot of funds still still have a lot of restrictions from their lps that they haven't addressed yet of whether or not these are things that they can invest in at all i think there are i've talked to a number of investors not necessarily our own that you know their their firm or their funds you know they they can't yet invest in ICOs but they are investing individually or as angels in ICOs privately so that's that's a really interesting trend that I've seen and talked to folks about because I think people people understand that this is the future and it may take time for fund structures and LP structures to catch up because I think th- those will tend to lag behind so but yeah certainly certainly some folks have have either expressed interest in jumping into more or have already jumped into some so as someone, you know, that's been busy launching and, and running a, a startup, uh, you know, I, you said you've been following this space, but I assume you haven't been like, you know, obsessing over it because you just haven't had time, you know, launching a, launching a business. Um, I'm, I'm curious, like, is, is someone coming into this? How have you found the experience of, of launching a token? I would say, I think like anything you, or especially if you're an entrepreneur, you're, you're typically overly optimistic <laughs> and you're typically, typically think things can get done very quickly and easily. And of course, things usually almost always take longer than expected. And so I think, you know, it's certainly not easy. There are a lot of moving parts to making the sale a success. But the sale of success is really just the first initial part of this. You know, our idea here is to build a meaningful company and then a meaningful protocol and token um, for the world to use. And so that to just focus on the sale itself is very short-sighted. So I think we really focused on bringing on advisors that we think can help us both in the short term and in the long term. Obviously, there's a lot of work to be done around building the actual technology. We have some folks in-house that obviously are able to to do the smart contracts, to start working on the technology itself. That was really important. We didn't want to have to outsource that at all. I thought that was very silly. And but there are a lot of moving parts. You know, there are there are legal requirements and considerations. There are accounting requirements and considerations. There are structural requirements for how in crypto economic um, considerations for how we're thinking about the pool of tokens, all, all of that takes a lot of thought, uh, a lot of 
consideration, a lot of education, and also a lot of uh, meeting new people and getting advice and getting perspective. And so that on top of running a day-to-day business of 24 people is, is a lot of work. So I have, I have found the community really receptive and really helpful. And really, I think also wanting to see real, I wouldn't call them real companies, but companies that already exist that have traction and revenue and users jumping into the space. So I think we've, we've had a warm reception in that regard. People are excited to see us, to see us sticking our, our, our necks out there and, and jumping into this for sure has been, has been really great to see. You know, I would say, obviously here, you know, we believe that not every business is fit to launch a token. But even businesses that could be fit to launch a token, we don't think that the current technology and maybe even the future technology, it makes sense for them to. And so, of course, what we're trying to build is sort of like the WordPress or the Squarespace for launching a token, making, you know, migrating, migrating all of these service oriented businesses into one centralized token that's programmable by their business, we think is is the future. So and part of that is because it's it's expensive and it is a lot of work to get both the technology built and and have to actually build value, build something of value. And and not every company is set up to do that. None of every company should do that. And none of every company will want to do that. And so we think that we are actually helping more companies be able to launch a token, but it, in a protocol that helps their business. But we but we don't think it needs to be necessarily a new token and a new to protocol because it, it may be too inefficient and too expensive for them. And it makes more sense for people to use to have something that they can earn in one service and use in another service that is that is more universal we think that is, that is a, a a more useful future so yeah so anyway that is our experience and and that is kind of what i think about the, the overall picture of of companies launching their own tokens or not launching their own tokens well fantastic is there anything you feel like i should ask you that i haven't asked you no i i, re- I really appreciate it I, I appreciate you know obviously folks like you that are are leading the charge and i think Things like these podcasts are really important. Not that I am necessarily the best spokesman, uh, but I think it is it is helpful to have more folks talking out there about and, and making this more real instead of you you know this conceptual abstract uh, thing that the average layman doesn't understand. But really, I'm hearing from hearing from different people um, every week on on what they're working on and and in, in, in regular terms, I, I think is really powerful. So yeah, thanks for having me and looking forward to, to listening to more. So tell us, tell us when your, your sale date is, tell us how people can find more about Kudos and also about Skedaddle. You can find more about Skedaddle at letskedaddle.com with one S. So L-E-T-S-K-E-D-A-D-D-L-E.com or download Skedaddle, the app. Uh, search in the App Store, the Google Play Store. Kudos, you can find more information at kudosproject.com. You can follow us on Twitter. We have a Reddit forum, Bitcoin Talk, all of that stuff is, is up and running or Telegram as well if you want to reach us. And then the sale itself is on November 1st. So it's coming up in, in about three weeks. So we're, we're fastly approaching. And if you want to participate, there's a, a little link on our site or a little form on our site where you can enter your email and, and we'll send you updates as we get closer to the sale date itself. Well, great. Well, thanks, Adam, for coming on the program. Thanks, Evan.